Week 2, already out of date content. Just a little disclaimer before we get started on this podcast. This show was recorded week commencing 17th of May 2020, so some of the pandemic chat is slightly out of date. Do bear with us. Still bearing with us? Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Call Yourself a Fan podcast. My name is Mike and I'll be talking to real football fans about their club. Football is not always trophies and glory. 99% of it is misery, frustration and of course some good laughs along the way. We'll cover embarrassing mascots, disgusting pies, all leading up to that dreaded worst 11 and a little bit of cheeky trivia in between. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing a club that was one of the founding members of the Football Association in 1863, before becoming a professional football club in 1905. They've always spent their time in the top two tiers of English football, apart from a short stint in the third division between 1974 and 1977. They hold two unwanted Premier League records, one of which was in 1992-93. They were relegated with a record number of points, 49. How unlucky is that? They've been through two administrations since 1998, but now find themselves enjoying perhaps their most successful era to date, cementing themselves as a Premier League mainstay. They hold a vicious rivalry with Brighton and don't like Millwall or Charlton much either. Their home matches include Eagles, Cheerleaders and Ultras. It is, of course, Crystal Palace. Joining me today is a Palace season ticket holder, an analyst by trade, and former broadcaster on Junction 11, the University of Reading student radio station. You've all heard of him. Uh, it's my good friend, Will Gain. Uh, welcome to the show, Will. How are you? All right? I'm good, Mike. Yeah, it's good to be, it's good to be on, on your new venture. Thank you very much. Have you uh, done much broadcasting since the university days there? Uh, I had a stint where I fancied myself as an ex Clive Tildesley. So I did some voluntary work for Hospital Radio Maidstone. Um, oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think I was the youngest there by about 50 years. It was good. <laughs> it, was, uh, yeah, it, was, it was character building, that's for sure. It was voluntary, probably broadcast into um, not many people in the wards. Maybe if I was doing Hospital Radio now, it'd be better because I have a bigger audience in these times. Um, <laughs> there but, is um, a positive to the Hospital yeah, Radio. Yeah, there is a positive, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I did that, and then I did some commentary for the local team, Maidstone United, which was good fun, but, yeah, a massive uh, slog. Yeah. And uh, I think you need to be a lot more patient than I was prepared to be. So, yeah, yeah, yeah no. did, did my toe, but, yeah, all yeah, good fun. Fair enough. Sounds like better quality than such shows on the University of Reading radio station. I think I think our show does it followed the Space Monkeys show, which yeah. uh, is as good as it sounds, listeners. Uh, how are you getting your football fix during the pandemic crisis? Well, are you are you struggling? Are you, you know, having sleepless nights? Are you crying? You know what? How are you coping? Yeah, a lot of tears. Um, it's strange. I think you're probably much the same with Millwall that you're not. You don't really know what you miss, but the, probably the main thing is just the going out and the seeing mates like you would when you're going to Millwall, meeting up with your brother, yeah. meeting up with your mates, going down the pub beforehand. So I think it's the old cliche of like anything at the moment. It's it's the missing going out rather than the actual game. Um, I don't really, I don't really know what people mean when they're saying, "Oh, I, I'm enjoying a bit of downtime from football." Um, 
I think, you know, we, we all love how relentless it is as football fans. We all love the fact that there's games on all the time. So um, I don't doubt that once it's back, we'll all fall back into the same things of watching, you know, all these games at Europa League or whatever. Or, you know, we're all going to have a, um, a Bundesliga team this weekend. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has been strange. I think the good thing is Palace specifically have done a lot of, um, of retro games on their YouTube channel. So last week, um, me and a couple of mates were watching the 2010 game. We stayed up at Hillsborough. Um, we, were, we were about to go down to League One, but we had to get a point at Hillsborough. That was really good to watch. Then on this day, seven years ago, early mentioned for it was uh, when we sunk uh, Brighton in yeah. the second leg of the uh, playoff semi-final. So that, the, the club have been putting that on, which is really good. Um, yeah, same with same with my club Millwall. If the listeners don't know, uh, don't turn off. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's been quite good because they've been updating their YouTube with a variety of of old clips and stuff like actual full season reviews. You know, like the old mm. DVDs. And I think yeah. there's a real grainy one from um, when we got promoted in 2001 um, of of that era, sort of like cutting it from VHS and then putting it on there but there's some good memories and I found myself still listening to Sunday Supplement as well I was like, I was like there's nothing going on like they're, they're no. literally everyone's speculating at the moment I, I just get to hear Martin Samuel speculate <laughs> it doesn't really make sense yeah I think there's a few of those things have still been they are good when there's developments but ultimately when you know I, I, I think you do as well listen to like the Guardian pod a lot and the and the um, football ramble a lot, but with with so much speculation, I think there's only so much you can listen to um, or watch. So yeah, I've watched a lot of retro games on Sky. There's also a good little show that BT are doing. I think it's every week called The Football's Not On with um, Ian Stone, a guy called Ivo Graham, who's like a comedian. Um, And then there's Doc Brown as well, who's Palace fan. So they've been doing like a a sort of three-way Zoom thing. That's been quite good, just talking about a lot of quirky things about football and and stuff on the continent as well. Oh, yeah, I've not seen that, yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's move on to you as a Palace fan. So, I mean, why, why do you support the club? Where does it all stem from? It's a really weird reason. Like, I would love to say oh, it's because of a long line of Palace fans in my family. Um, when I was younger, my dad was always rugby mad. Um, I didn't have any real... Um, exposure to football at all when I was younger I started playing at school in primary school um, and then yeah I was just harassing my dad to say oh can we go to a game can we go to a game like all kids around that time I think it was about 97 98 I was all I knew really was Man United because they were they were just bossing everything and I grew up watching watching them and, and Beckham and the school of 96 school of 92 not school of 96 <laughs> that's a new one um, and then yeah I harassed my dad and he the only way he could get a ticket was we had a family friend that was doing some decoration for us in the kitchen and there just so happened to be a Palestine ticket holder so he took us along to a game on the 26th of October 1999 which was yeah. West Brom at home lost 2-0 I think Jason Kumas scored um, and then yeah hooked, hooked from there ever since and my dad bless was him. That, was that in um, was that in Division One? Sorry, that game at the yeah. World Championship today. Yeah, yeah, nationwide Division One. It would have been back then. Um, yeah. And yeah, we had yeah, it was uh, dark times for the club, really. But yeah, so I would have been seven, seven, eight years old, and that was my first game. And then sort of went semi regularly for a couple of years, and then had season tickets from early thousands. Really, um, mm-hmm. dragged my dad along, even though he wasn't really into football, but. Um, yeah, I was hooked to Palace fan from them. And then coincidentally, I find out that because my both mum and dad's side are from South London, I've got a lot of Palace fans in the family. Um, so it kind of worked out nicely like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. could have ended up just continuing to be a Man United fan. Um, 
which I'm very glad I'm not, but there we go. Yeah, no, it's an interesting story because a lot of um, fans, it is passed through down the family. And I, I've got friends that, yeah, say support Arsenal where their parents are particularly football fans, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily from the area either. You know, they do pick that team, which is essentially the glory club at, at the time of maybe growing up. But yeah. um, some people see the light and um, you, know, you saw it. A shame it just wasn't Millwall. Uh, rather than yeah, it could have been. My, my uncle and cousin are both Millwall, so it could have been, but yeah, thankf- yeah. thankfully not. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. And, and what about your favourite game uh, of all time? Was, was that the Brighton game you mentioned briefly earlier, or was there another, another game uh, that you really enjoyed? Yeah, that's definitely got to be up there. Um, but I, in terms of just how much I enjoyed the game and any kind of like release of emotion and relief. Um, it was a game a couple of years ago, actually, um, in the season where uh, Alan Pardew got sacked in the December. Then we hired Sam Allardyce. Allardyce came in and saved us. And we had a week, um, we had, no, we had a month between March and April where we were looking doomed and we had Arsenal at home, Liverpool away, Chelsea away, and we won all three. Um, and one of those games was a Monday night game, Arsenal at Sellers under lights. And it, to be fair, it, it's a bit bittersweet because it was at the time when they were really on their way down. You know, Wenger, Wenger out was all over, all over Twitter. Um, and the fans actually at the game were singing, you're not fit to wear the shirt. So it was at the time when Arsenal were a bit of a joke, um, but we just absolutely battered them 3-0, typical Allardyce style. Um, no no messing around really but it was just really it was kind of like it was after that game we thought okay we're probably going to stay up and it was one of those atmospheres which I'll always remember um, and obviously being a Monday night was very hungover the next day at work which wasn't fun um, <laughs> Worth yeah, it that, on that's that one that sticks in the mind there probably are others down the years but definitely that one in terms of the relief after winning that and knowing that you're probably going to stay up against all the odds mm. Big Sam never lets you down um, unless unless he, he has a pi- unless he has a pint of wine with him, <laughs> yeah, and starts saying things that he shouldn't be saying. There's a lot of Palace fans actually that a lot of Palace fans still really don't like Allardyce, but I often talk to a couple of mates about this. And that period of when he came in, probably till the, the May when he left, was some of the best football I've seen us play. Just mm-hmm. in terms of how satisfying it was and how solid we looked. But um, yeah, I think a lot of Palace fans will massively disagree with me. Well, West Ham fans are a bit like that as well. Like, you know, a couple of our friends, uh, Ollie, for example, just, just for a reference point for you, Will, I think never really liked Allardyce. And then another no. couple of friends kind of really like him. I think he's he's definitely that kind of Marmite manager, isn't he? Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I was quite, I mentioned Brighton a little bit earlier and obviously it, it's kind of slightly, I suppose, oddly created rivalry, perhaps, and, you know, mm-hmm. a, a team which is on the South Coast uh, having a big rivalry with a, a London club. Um, how do you feel about Brighton and like, what are your thoughts on kind of that rivalry over the years? It's a bit of a strange one because it was well before my time. It was forged in the 70s, but mm. you, you, you know about it soon. Well, before, when, you, when you become a Palace fan, you know about it pretty soon. And... Yeah, it's, it's one of those things really you have to explain it to people every year about the, the whole replays and Alan Murray and, and managing both clubs and, you know, saying that, oh, 50 pence piece, that's, that's all you're worth, Crystal Palace. But it's strange because <laughs> as, as time goes on and as we started to play them, if they finally joined us in the Premier League a couple of years ago, uh, you, you get more invested in the rival and you're like, OK, yeah, they really hate us, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hate them more. But I, I, will, I think I've said it to you a couple of times, I'll always, just, just because of... The, the era that I've grown up in, I always take much more joy in if we play you and if we beat you or if we play Charlton and we, and we beat Charlton. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong, like the last last few years and we've played them a lot, it's been great when we have won. 
Um, yeah, I think one of the last games I actually went to before lockdown was the the one 0 away at the Amex. So that was very satisfying, and just just seeing uh, just seeing how obviously much their fans hate us, and and the difference really between them being the, the only real team down there in that part of the world, very middle class um, Sussex club, and the difference between them and like the urban grit of a South London club. Yeah, I think you can see that in the fan base. Um, so yeah, it definitely takes satisfaction over the last few years when, I, when we do play them more. But I think I'll always, let's say, if and when you ever do get to the Premier League, or if we go down, <laughs> probably more likely, um, I, I probably take much more satisfaction of going to the den and winning and winning one 0 or something like that. Yeah, do you know it's it's probably because naturally you're just more likely to going to know say more London club fans like myself being a Millwall mm. supporter or you know so it, it kind of increases that rivalry you know between friends and stuff whereas you know you might not even know any Brighton fans you know if you've no, never I don't think I do well there you go yeah so it is a bit of a funny one what don't you specifically like about them that like pisses you off about Brighton though is there anything particular like your trips down to the Amex do you you know, it's what is it? Al, what's the place called? Like Famer, Falma. Falma, sorry. Yeah, Falma, just going out yeah. to not even in Brighton, bit of yeah. pain in the ass. Like, what, yeah, what what grinds your gears? Well, but to, to be fair, that that could probably be levelled at us. The amount of times you've had Northern fans come down and they th- and they get to Victoria and they think they've only got a short hop and then they've got a, a twenty-five minute Southern train out to near Surrey. <laughs> so that could probably be levelled at us. But um, yeah, I think it's the the fact that they. All, all the new, all the new fans, specifically since they've got in the Premier League, really, really seeing how much they hate us is probably one. Um, that that's something that just you, you find kind of funny more than anything. And I, yeah, as I said, the difference between the fan base is like, I mean, you'll take you'll take the mick out of us for having ultras and goal music. But I think if you went to, the, I don't know if you've ever been to the Amex, but when they come out, they have this awful Sussex by the Sea song, um, and then this melody of like sort of get up and at them tunes, and there's lyrics. There's lyrics on the big screen, oh, God, yeah. and you just see that, and it's this—it's the standard sort of, it's the standard resentment of a team like that, where you go, "Oh, look how modern you are." And even though Palace are probably getting towards that stage, especially if we do get a new stadium, you—I think as a as like a as a standard London club, you kind of look at that and you think, "Oh, we don't want to become that a sort of hollow bowl stadium with no soul." Even though we we might go there eventually, but thankfully we're not there just yet. Yeah, it leads me quite nicely on. I was going to ask you a bit about Selhurst Park and your um, your thoughts on it. I mean, it's it's kind of just been a mainstay ground in London. You know, how's different clubs when they've been going through difficult times as well? Uh, you know, mm. Wimbledon played there for a period of time. I think Charlton may have played there as well. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, it, it kind of has that era of when you go there, walking back into the past, you know, it's, it's a ground surrounded by kind of terraced housing. It's still very old-fashioned ground. Mm. Um, did you, I mean, I assume you kind of like that kind of traditional nature of um, the, the ground, but, you know, do you feel that it holds the club back uh, a little bit or, or what would you think? Yeah, I definitely agree that you, you, you kind of want to hold on to the traditional nature of it being in that working-class area surrounded by houses, you know, like... Like like the Denny's, for example, where the Denny's you walk down into Bermondsey and then you, you go into the den, um, still has that very raw urban feel. Um, so that's that's definitely something which which you want to keep, and hopefully even with the with the new stand, it, it keeps that because it's just going to build on it rather than build a new one. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it, being being just like a, if you're talking purely in terms of finance, then it does hold us back because I think it's well documented. Our model is basically we've got a huge wage bill compared to the revenue we get. Um, 
uh, let's say I, I think there's a figure of about 150 million we get from the broadcasters and and we use something like 80 percent of that to um to uh to pay everything so we don't generate much revenue apart from the broadcast and that's one of the that is the driving factor behind wanting to get this new stand built so we can get more fans through the gate and more commercial opportunities like hospitality and all that you know all that crap um and then yeah that that hopefully when you when you have that just the aesthetic thing of that on the map if someone can see that from a couple of miles away then you have the kids that are growing up in the area and that's that's one of the things that i find frustrating is you have all these kids that have grown up in the area like Jaden sancho tammy abraham all those guys are, are from the area of south london but because we're not on the map either with the club at the time or the stadium they go to the chelsea's and and you know city and whatever whereas hopefully with the stadium and the, the prospective academy that can help us get back on the map so Think if I was thinking purely in terms of like financial perspective, it does hold us back. If we were just dicking about in the championship for a few years, it, you know, no one would want to change because no. there, there are so many people that lament the fact that we might we might get this new ground. You know, there's still so many fans, old school fans, who who wouldn't mind getting relegated and you know having mm. not having the the loyalty points queues and and whatever. But yeah, just as a fan, I, I do think it holds us back right now for what we want to get to. Yeah, but can new grounds be done correctly though? You know, actually, not to talk about Brighton, but uh, and I've you know have not been there, I must say. But you know that that might be an example of somewhere which might have a good atmosphere. You may disagree, but you know, mm-hmm. so I think that was a problem when they started building all of these new grounds. I mean, you, if you look at the Emirates, for example, the the uh, ground atmosphere actually wasn't on top of the list of you know uh, trying to uh, for creating a new ground i guess and obviously they've realized kind of that now and i think you know if you look at the new spurs ground as well is is built to you know have a great atmosphere so you know that 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 kind of might help your cause with not losing some of the soul of the club if they do decide to build something in the future i suppose yeah yeah definitely and i think that's a good point like that that is what people are so conscious of like generally fans a lot a lot older than a lot older than me of the old school generation but you don't want to lose the atmosphere um if you know we'll, we'll touch on the ultras and whatever and i'm sure you'll have your your thoughts on that but um you don't want to lose you don't want to go into like a you know a majeski bowl and lose that and lose that raw um that raw sort of fan culture that we've kind of managed to cultivate even in the premier league because yeah it, and i would say just even though a lot of Palace fans would hate me for this, if you look in terms of like pure engineering and architecture and stuff and what it's doing, like the, the Amex is brilliant. Like it is, it is a lovely stadium when you look at it, but yeah, yeah it's not it's not a, a great atmosphere. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe that could change. But I, I think, yeah, you're right. It's not built with acoustics in mind. It's built to be um, what it is, functional and, and, a good, and a good looking stadium. Yeah, no, cool. I've been, I've been once with you, funnily enough. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this was. I was just getting up on my phone because I forgot what year it was. But it was, um, yeah, Crystal Palace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was Crystal Palace two mil two. Now um, I was sitting in the home, the Crystal Palace end, um, which, yeah, was an interesting experience. I think we'd obviously had a few beers beforehand, um, and I'm not quiet at the best of times at football. Um, but obviously, I was under strict instructions to try and uh, keep the. Uh, well, I wasn't expecting to celebrate much because I think we were at opposite ends of the table at the time. But um, it just so happened that we all well, went 2-0 down, I think had a man sent off and we managed to claw it back to 2 all. And um, I think, I can't remember who equalised now. It might have been Beavers or Alan Dunn. But I mean, I yeah, think... I think I, in I, my mind, I've, yeah, yeah, I've got I, Beavers and maybe... Was it was Darius Henderson playing for you at the time? 
Oh no, Beaver's got the equaliser. And I think, yeah, it was a penalty, wasn't it? Um, yeah. I'm sure our listeners care about this game <laughs> a lot. But, <laughs> but it was more just a point. It was so hard for me because I was looking over at like two and a half, th- 3,000 Millwall fans going absolutely potty. Um, and I, I don't know if I, I have this like memory of like grabbing your leg or, or like I just like had to like let something out. But I think I'd made it quite clear I was supporting the away side during the match anyway, because there was a bloke that I think looked round a few times. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he didn't do anything, so I got away with that. No, but, no, I think yeah, you when you got the equaliser because you you got the I think you got the two goals. You were side of half time, but it was pretty yeah. like yeah, it was completely unexpected. So when the second one and you kind of grabbed me, but mm. thankfully, yeah, I think most Palace fans were too worried about being depressed of just go uh, surrendering a 2-0 lead rather than seeing you supporting Mill. But yeah, you did, you got away with that one, to be fair. That was a <laughs> uh, that was a good game. I think we were we were in the playoffs, you were at the bottom end of the table. And then after that, Dougie Freeman left us for Bolton, which was mm. nuts. That's a terrible decision of Dougie. Yeah. One of his best, Awful. was it? Yeah, cool. And uh, like, what, what are your thoughts on sort of the match day experience at Selhurst Park? Because there's a few individual kind of things that, you know, you have, you know, cheerleaders, which... Um, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sure everyone everyone enjoys that. Um, <laughs> um, the the Palace Eagle as well, which Taylor is it Taylor. Sorry, Taylor. 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 Yeah, Taylor. Taylor, the, Taylor the Eagle. All right. Yeah. And was there some was there some sentimentalism of bringing an eagle other than the actual like you know known as the Eagles, obviously? But you know, did you have some problems with? birds or pigeons and that or like oh it was literally it, it just, i don't know i was just thinking what's that eagle doing during the week it's like big match on um saturday kayla you know we've got brighton coming down like yeah, yeah we need to have an early night have an early night yeah you know, yeah you know yeah so or is it chasing pigeons about you know yeah the seagulls are coming you need to make sure you've got to be on your game <laughs> yeah but is there a story behind that though and when was that introduced as well has that been for, you know, a mainstay of your time supporting the club, or yeah, I, as far as I can remember, it's been a mainstay. Um, maybe when we didn't have as much as much uh, funding, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been top of the priority list. When Simon Jordan was trying to save a few quid in the early noughties, he maybe thought, "Oh no, we'll make the uh, we'll make the eagle trainer and Kayla redundant." But yeah, is 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 it a bald eagle or is it a crowned eagle or is it? Uh, <laughs> so I was um, just looking at. <laughs> I've got him. I've got him. He doesn't there know everything about yeah. Palace. Um, no, I don't. Well, the bald eagle lives for 20 years and then the crowned eagle 14 years. So there might be a chance that maybe it has been the same eagle depending yeah. on when it was born. I don't know. I definitely remember it being Kayla for a while, but then Kayla did go missing, I remember. Um, so they might have had a... It might be one of those ones that, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're older and your kid's got a hamster and the hamster dies, you don't tell the kid... That the hamsters died you just buy another one yeah so that might be the case they might just keep rolling it out as Kayla but not telling us that Kayla's Kayla's copped it I like that kind of thinking of like a a, a lamppost outside of Crystal Palace with like a missing eagle if seen yeah you know, steer clear oh, call this number but yeah bite you yeah if seen <laughs> where, do, where do you see it mate oh, I just flew past where is it yeah. I don't know now I don't know it's now, gone, yeah. gone mate it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right. Um, and, and yeah, you, uh, obviously I need to talk to you about the ultras because I think our listeners are quite interested in that, which, well, they saw European clubs doing it and thought mm. it would be a nice idea or, you know, what, what's the history of that? I think the, the group, as far as I'm aware, I'm not particularly like, au favour of it all, but as far as I'm aware, 
the group started around the time that we went into administration. So around 2009, 2010. And I think there's been a group of lads that are obviously all from the area and they've all been going for a long time. I think most of them are a few years older than me, like in their mid thirties maybe. Um, and they've been going for a while and they, and they just kind of started thought, right, like we need to, we want to start changing kind of the dynamic of this part. And initially they were in the, in the Homesdale. If anyone knows in the bottom right of the Homesdale, you can always see them on TV. They were initially there and they, they kind of just grew and grew and they, you know, they managed to get a drum in and, and back in the day when you're in the championship, the club were probably completely happy for it. Cause you're like, oh, okay, we don't care about really people standing or the drums if it's going to annoy anyone, because if it's going to put the club on the map and, and get some more bums on seats when we, we were averaging 12, 13,000, then probably thinking, yeah. yeah, great. So I think the group have faced challenges as, as we've got bigger, but um, yeah, it's just grown and grown. And I don't know any of them personally, but I actually sit, I sit a few rows back from where they are. And um, yeah, it means you can't fault them for what they do. They've, they're constantly putting on, putting on displays at the end of the season. Um, always, they, they have a good relationship with the club. So they're always managing to coordinate tickets and get sections together. Um, they're very open to people joining and stuff. Um, and yeah, they've, you know, they, they've, they've become synonymous with the club, which for you guys, for Millwall fans, you probably like taking the piss out of us for that, but it definitely changes the, it changes the perception that everyone's a Nigel, doesn't it? It changes more to maybe like, I don't know, like, yeah, well, I think, I think now a lot of people on Twitter see them as tryhards, but you know, I, th- I think, I think they're doing a good job. And I think a lot, uh, and if it was on the continent, a lot of people go, oh, look how great these St. Pauli fans sound. But yeah. yeah because it's a Premier League club. People see it and go, oh, look how cringe they are. So I think there's a fine line, but they, they seem like good guys. And they, and they, and I know the club hold them in high regard because at the start of last, was it start, start of this season? Um, no, start of last season, sorry. They, they moved from. Um, they wanted to move from their block to the middle, and um, there wasn't there wasn't complete sort of harmony between what they wanted to do and what the club wanted because obviously you've got loads of people that were going to have to be displaced, um, and they were missing for quite a few games. And you know you could tell the atmosphere was really flat because I think people have got so used to the atmosphere being generated by them, the atmosphere just falls yeah. in the sauce. Um, so then they, they they managed to get them back after a few games, and then obviously it improves massively. So I know they are held in quite high regard and. Yeah, from my personal point of view, you might have your own, people might have their own sort of individual gripes, but I think they, they do far more good than they do bad. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I think it it's funny that other clubs kind of take the mickey, but I think it's just, you know, most clubs have kind of an individual way of supporting the team. You know, and we've talked a lot about maybe you know, comparisons between Millwall and Crystal Palace, yeah? Mm. Whereas, you know, you, you might have a group vultures, whereas we might have a group of overweight bowl blokes in fat caps, you know, shouting the C word. I mean, which I love, by the way. Um, But you know what I mean? It's it's just different. It's just different ways of supporting your club, isn't it? I was going to talk to you a little bit about away days, because I know you follow Palace sort of home and away. Like, have you had just a terrible experience away from home? Um, Or just, or just like, you know, something funny that's happened yeah, worth worth telling me about. Yeah, there's a um, there's a couple I can think of that spring to mind. One in our promotion season, we were so Mike and I went to the same uni, uh, Reading, and it was a Saturday morning game at the end of March. And as we marched towards the playoffs, we were sliding down. We were in the playoffs, but we were sliding down the league. I think we went on a run of about nine without a win at the end of the end of the season when we when we'd been in the playoffs oh, that was- all season pretty much. Yeah, Holloway, because he took over when you were first, right? Yeah, Ian Holloway exactly, and then dropped, yeah. dropped down. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And we were flying, and um, 
And then, yeah, sort of in February, March, we just had a couple of horrendous results. I think it was towards the end of March and went down from Reading. It was a Saturday morning kickoff to Brighton away and it, um, on yeah, March 2013. And yeah, early train from Reading. It's not actually too far down to Brighton. So got down there, but had to wake up at Sparrow's Fart, especially as a student on a Saturday morning. It wasn't the best. Complete pissing rain. Got down there. Um, we were losing. We lost 3-0 and all three goals were scored in the first half, I believe. Uh, might have been two and then one in the second half, but yeah. And you're just thinking, bloody hell, this, this is a culmination of complete shit after we've been <laughs> after we've been um, doing so well all season. And obviously, at the time, I was in third year of uni, so it was in March, coming to the sort of end of year with dissertation worries and stuff. So I really shouldn't have gone. I really should have spent the weekend focusing on my dissertation, which uh, I didn't do too well on the end. But yeah, made <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> couple of Desmond's over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Two, two, um, the 2-2 two, two club. Yeah, and I mean, I would have preferred that result because, it, yeah, it's 3-0 and then coming back to Reading in the piss and rain, I just remember getting back home and, yeah, getting, I actually got back home quite early on a Saturday because it was an early kickoff. But that's one that sticks in the mind. And then more recently, um, we went, to, me and a couple of mates went to Newcastle away uh, two seasons ago. First time I've ever been, been to Newcastle away. Um, went up on early Saturday morning. We went. We stayed in a hotel because we were staying in there on Saturday night. The game was one nil. We played quite well, but lost to a late uh, Mikel Moreno header, I believe. Um, and then on the night out, me and two mates went on the night out, and my mate got glassed um, in the head, and we spent the night in Newcastle and A and E. So that was uh, yeah. What did it? What was what's, a, what's stem that on? It was just a. What, they knew you were uh, Crystal Palace, but it was always a little bit of aggro. Or? No, mate, I don't know. It was. Um, he, def- he definitely wasn't a Geordie. Um, but yeah, I think I was busy on the dance floor, and the other two lads went out for a went out for a cigarette. And next thing I know, I've got about fifty missed calls saying, um, "Oh, we're in Newcastle A&E," and I said, "What are you doing there? It's much better in." Um, <laughs> but yeah, Newcastle A&E is is literally exactly as you'd imagine. They just imagine it, and it's exactly like that. Yeah, kind of like th- kind of like third world, I imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty that- much. I mean, talking about away days stuff, um, we all like to overindulge a little bit occasionally in in a few beers before football. Um, any any times where you've, you've got like you've gone over the top, um, a few blurry blurry mm. games. I'm, I'm I'm wondering. I imagine there are a few. Yeah, there's a there's a couple sort of during and after the game. So I think one that I've told you before is. First day of the season a few years ago, we just signed <laughs> we, we just signed the Yanka Bayer, which was just a seminal moment for the club, obviously. I think broke our transfer record, broke our wage structure and whatever. And me and a few lads, brilliant day, absolute roaring sunshine, went up to Norwich. Um, and we're 2-1 up with minutes to go. And, you know, just all the Olays are coming out and I'm, I'm, I'm battered. Like the sun's got to me. I've had a few pints beforehand. Cans up on the way, mm. um, and yeah, I think Kabai's clean through, and I'm just, I'm just for some reason, I'm not watching the match. I've got my head like just looking at my phone, and um, Palace fans start going nuts, and because everything was really slow, I was like, oh, what's going on? My mate was like, oh, Kabai scored, and I was like, oh, okay, so that was, um, that was funny, just not really going <laughs> as mental as I should have done for the fact that new signing had just scored the third and secured the three points, um, so especially first first day of the season as well. You you you, you like delighted the football's back. You had to miss yeah. miss the goal. Yeah, cause yeah. I, I remember. It's an, yeah. I said, have you you must have missed a few goals during your time. I remember I went up to I think it was um, yeah Chesterfield, and um, they do a lovely pie up there. I was, I was thinking <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get one of those. And um, 
yeah, it was a little bit of a queue, but I've heard the pie's worth it. So I stuck in the queue and got a pint at half time. Anyway, I was got, I thought, well, I might miss the first couple of minutes of the, uh, of, of the second half. It'll be all right. Sort of finishing me pie. And then um, hear a big roar and obviously realise we've scored, run out with sort of pie in one hand. I think I think it went somewhere. I don't, I don't even think I finished it in the end. And mm. I just think back and just thought, you know, I went all that way to Chesterfield <laughs> and missed the winning goal. And you just think to yourself, like, ah. Oh. But I mean, the, I don't know, the pie was worth it rather than a league. Uh, I mean, that's what I was about to say. If the pie was good and you still won, then <laughs> yeah, yeah. brilliant. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. No. Other than that, I was uh, going to mention the um, another funny overindulging was we lost four 0 at home to Sunderland, one of David Moyes' only wins as Sunderland manager, and that was when Allardyce was in charge. So he he quickly turned it around mm. after that. But I went with a same same couple of mates, and their dad and their granddad came. And after the match, we had one at the pub, and then they all had to shoot off. And um, it was a February, so the Six Nations was on. So in England, we're playing France, and I thought, oh, I'll stay, I'll stay in the pub just to, you know, I was in no rush. I was living in Brixton at the time. I was like, oh, there's no rush. I'll, um, I'll just stay in and watch the, watch the rest of the match here. So I've got, I've got like twenty out of my pocket, twenty pound note. And I'm thinking, oh, mm. this is fine. Um, I'll just have a couple here. And then the next thing I remember is just leaning at the bar and ordering another pint and being out of cash. <laughs> and I don't, I don't remember like. I don't remember sort of after the game until I got home. So I must have just really been depressed, overindulged, had like four or five on my own watching the rugby. And then, yeah, I just remember like sort of being outside the flat, falling over a lot and then getting in. And it was still only about 10, 11 o'clock. So it wasn't even that late. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Order the Domino's. I've got some fried chicken in quickly, I imagine. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, nice one. This is a little quiz. So Will doesn't know the two rounds I'm going to present him with now. So the idea of this is, yeah, there's 10 questions on two of these topics, depending on which Will chooses. Um, And you've just got to answer the questions as quick as possible. As Mm -hmm. we interview more people throughout these series, I'm going to make a little leaderboard, uh, depending on how many people you know you got right or alternatively uh, how quick you were answering them. So it's important it's quick fast. So I'm going to present to you the two rounds and you'll have to choose one. So Crystal Palace squad numbers or Roy the boy Hodgson. Oh, it's tough. Oh. Oh. All right, squad numbers. Squad numbers. All right, yeah. fine. Oh, I'm going to regret that. Right. So first five questions. Who wears the following? Number two. Joe Ward. Correct. 34. Martin Kelly. Correct. 15. Jeff Schlupp. Correct. Seven. Uh, shit. Oh. Who was seven? I just about to say Johan Goodbye, but I can't feel Oh, Max Meyer. Max Meyer, he's got it just in time. 21. Uh, not Connor Wickham. Correct. Five out of five then. What number <laughs> did these ex-players wear? So, Andrew Johnson. Eight. Correct. Nathaniel Klein. Uh, two. Correct. Marouane Shamak. Oh, now you've got me. Is it 29? Correct. Is it is a good one. Calvin Andrew. Oh, <laughs> um, Remember that. 18. How did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I was like, you're never going to get that. It's because I, I watched that Hillsborough game the other day. Oh, he was involved, was he? Oh, yeah. I, do you know what? I watched him a few years ago and 
he scored the winning goal. Terrible, no. He was at Rochdale at the time. Anyway, and yeah. then final one, Owen Garvan. Uh, ten. Correct. So he's got ten out of ten. So uh, yeah, well done, Will. Perhaps Good I'll mate. do that. I'll do that Roy Hodgson quiz with you off air at some point. Yeah, so the last sort of feature in, in uh, this podcast today is we're going to talk about Will's worst 11. So these are 11 players who, during the time, I suppose, Will supported the club, as he, he thinks is the worst. Um, so you've gone for, I suppose, a 4-4-2, but kind of with wingers rather than uh, you know, right or left midfielder. Yeah. Um, cool. Shall we kick off with the goalkeeper then? Yeah. Um, it's a di- bit of a difficult one, actually, because out of all the... Of all the keepers we've had over the years, I can't I can't remember anyone being absolutely shocking. Um, this is a bit harsh on this this guy because he's actually a pretty good keeper now playing for Southampton. I've gone for Alex McCarthy, um, and we signed him. Uh, where did we sign him from? I think was it Reading or QPR in 2015. Um, and yeah, young English keeper at the time. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is actually a good signing. We we needed we need someone to replace Sproni and Hennessy. Um, just like to add that Hennessy was a close second because I think he's terrible. Um, <laughs> And yeah, just he he never really got going. He started the first few. Um, he had a bit of a shocker against Norwich in the opening day. He let a goal in from far too, about 30 yards out where he should have let in. Um, and then just never really got going. I think he only had seven league appearances. And it all culminated when he got given a start. Pardew brought him in and out of the team, which is, you know, that's Pardew's management style, which clearly didn't work. Um, and I think there was a game in the March uh, of 2016 when we were in a terrible league run on the way to the FA Cup final. And uh, McCarthy just completely fluffed his lines, gave the ball to a Liverpool player. They equalised and then they won 2-1. And it was a really a must-win game. So I've gone him for that. It was a little bit harsh. But yeah, I just couldn't think of too many terrible keepers. Yeah, but I suppose when you've had such a, a, a goalkeeper that's been, you know, like um, Julian Sproni, for example, yeah. who's been there for so long, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I forgot as well, looking at Alex McCarthy, he's got an England cap as well mm. um, against mm. USA in 2018. I think he yeah, played a half. Um, let's move on to left back. And I'll, I couldn't remember this player, so I've had to research him. But um, anyway, who, who was your left back? Uh, I've got two left backs, but the one I've gone for is the one who's more left footed. So it's Gary Borrodale. So he came through at Palace, um, thinking, was it 2002, 2003? I think he actually played for us in the Premier League at some point um and again maybe a little bit harsh but i i just have this enduring memory of him being very limited and obviously did well for us at the time when we were going through a bad spell and i have this enduring memory of him which is that i was working at tesco on nights between uni so i remember one one uni summer between 2012 and 13 i used to work on the on the booze and wise and spirits aisle at tesco just to get a bit of money during during the summers and Shock. Uh, yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah, shot working on the booze, booze, wines and spirits, uh, beers, wine and spirits. Sorry. And I remember this guy coming down the aisle um, late at night. So I used to start about 10, 10 p.m. And I remember him coming down the trolley about 11, big fat bloke, and didn't think anything of it. And then I kind of double took and I was like, that's Gary Borrodale. And that's, uh, yeah, and he was huge, like proper huge. And he, he probably still would have been playing non league at the time. Um, it sounds like it sounds like a bit of a sad story because he made you know ninety eight appearances I think you know up to the age of twenty one obviously went won the young player of the year as well so um, yeah as you said sort of one good season but yeah. his career just skyrocketed in the opposite direction downwards <laughs> after that I, I mean, mean yeah I mean he you know <laughs> I think 
he apparently still plays for Greenwich Borough, but I'm unsure if anyone's updated yeah. his Wikipedia page. <laughs> so <laughs> probably, uh, yeah. I wouldn't have thought so. But yeah, you could probably get a game for Greenwich um, if you're an overweight man. But um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> shame. Um, cool. Um, so we'll go. Yeah, and the two centre halves now. Will um, maybe the yeah. first one. Yeah, uh, so Claude Davis, again, probably a little bit harsh, but just remember him being a real Bambi on ice, a bit of a little bit liability. Um, and he probably looked he looked like a good signing in that team um, because we were going through a rough spell at the time. I think it was between 2009, 2010. Um, but yeah, he was just an absolute unit, like no-nonsense defender. But I don't remember being too enamoured with him in terms of um, just a real liability, not, not good with the ball at his feet and... Mm. And yeah, just a bit of a comedy character. So I kind of wanted to shoehorn him in somehow. And then the other one was uh, Adam Barrett, um, who really bad era for us in sort of 2007-8 when we had Peter Taylor, who's a club legend as a manager. And he just signed this string of like awful players. I remember Dartford Dave Martin, who was a Millwall player. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Tony Craig, obviously, Millwall legend. And then yeah. I don't know if you remember these names, but we had someone called Stuart Green in midfield. Uh, I don't know what he's doing now, but I can't imagine yeah. his career went far past Palace. And then another lad called Jeff Hughes. And we signed all these players in this sort of era. And it was just, yeah, you just remember how awfully average these guys were. And I remember Barrett just being, I think we signed from South End, might be wrong. But I remember him being typically bad. This would have been when you would have been in the championship as well. Um, yeah. And Dave Martin and Tony Craig are League One players <laughs> and below. Yeah. And they did all right for us, obviously, in League One. Interesting point on Adam Barrett. Um, you, you may have realised as well. I mean, he's now a successful coach at Millwall um, mm. and he was the caretaker in between um, Neil Harris leaving and um, Gary Rowett taking over. And um, apparently he's really, really highly thought of as a coach. Um, mm. I think they say he's going to go like, quite far, but clearly didn't quite work out for him at, um, at Palace. No, I think um, he had a good career elsewhere, but yeah, he just looked very average at us. Mm. And then... Um, you're right back, and just before you say, I forgot about this guy, but I remember, I remember you talking about it. I think at the time, and we're just like, what a ridiculous situation it was. But um, anyway, over to you. You're right back, Will. Yeah, so left back by trade. Um, this guy called Florian Morange um, signed him in summer of 2013 after just being promoted. I think we'd signed about 13, 14 players in the summer. Just complete scattergun strategy. Um, and yeah, he never got an official announcement, never got a, you know, when they raised the shirt in front of the photo, he never had that. Um, he only had one appearance for the club, which was against Bristol City away, which we lost. We got battered in the League Cup. Um, and he he never got, he didn't, he got left out of the, the 25-man squad. And he did several newspaper articles. I think he did one with Lequeep in France, saying basically in the September, so a couple of months after being signed, how he was disgusted with his treatment Um yeah, didn't he? He was staying in a hotel, and the club made him foot the bill, despite saying they pay for it. Um, he he didn't get given a club suit, so I think for someone <laughs> well, like Steve Parrish, yeah, yeah, I don't I know. Mean, it yeah, sounds it doesn't look good. It doesn't. I look mean, good. Holloway after signing him, then labelled him as slow, yeah, uh, yeah, and then didn't make the Premier League twenty. I mean, yeah, it's baffling, really. Um, I think we signed him on the back of a fag packet sort of thing. I I think it was literally as bad as they've watched a couple of clips on YouTube and thought we need a left back. And that's what they went for because he was free. Yeah. And uh, where he is now, retired at the age of 31, um, actually, so 2017, played for a couple of teams in France, I think. But his career Mm. certainly never... Never re-established after leaving Palace. It's all downhill from Crystal Palace, isn't it? it seems <laughs> Just so a quick one on him as well. Form. I forgot to uh, sorry, I forgot I forgot to mention. Uh, 
funny thing about him. I um I was speaking to a girl, a match to girl on on Hinge a while oh, ago. Yeah. Other dating apps are available, and oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and she got chatting to her, and she said she was an au pair in France for a professional footballer. Oh, she right. being me. I said, oh yeah, who's that then? And she said, oh, you wouldn't have heard of him, Florian Morange. And I was like, no, <laughs> no fucking way. So I said to her, oh yeah, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a uh, sort of a, a cult figure at the club I support. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and she was like, "Yeah, he got treated like shit. He could speak English, and he absolutely hates England." I was like, "Well, there you go." Why the hell did he join? Because I mean, prior to that, it looked like he um, had quite a decent career at Bordeaux. He had made, I think, eighty or eighty-five appearances. Mm. So, um, yeah, strange, strange scenario. Will Let, let's move on to your midfield now. Um, mm-hmm. So, perhaps just with your formation, we'll do the two central midfielders uh, yep. first. Um, if you want to announce those. Yeah, so you got Edgar Davids, uh, who I know you find brilliant, and uh, Jordan Much. So a real duo there. Um, I think Davids, we signed him on a pay-as-you-play deal in August of 2010. Um, and was it August 2010? Yeah, it was somewhere around that time. Yeah, I believe it was. And uh, I don't think he played for two years. And we signed him on a pay-as-you-play deal. Yeah, George Burley signed him. Um, and then he played seven appearances. The fifth one was a when he did a horrendous back pass to Julian Spironi. And we lost oh, the game yeah, two. I forgot about that. <laughs> don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it kind of it was that game. And then the game before that, we lost 5-0 at Derby. And I, I wasn't going away at the time. I was too young. But um, apparently, he was just absolutely dreadful. <laughs> so, he made seven appearances altogether. And then at the end of it, he said it was the greatest experience of his <laughs> life, which is, uh, which is quite funny. It, it just like seems sort of kind of that period Edgar Dam is just his he lost his mind do you know mm. what I mean it must have been perhaps well he came out of retirement to firstly which I've who, who who's he getting on the phone to to say I want to play in England again and mm. Crystal Palace is stupid enough to maybe take him on um 37 at the time so you know you almost treat well, yourself he, fair play to him don't you like if we're going to be if we're going to say yeah we'll pay you then why not like mm. he's going to have a jolly up for a couple of months but obviously, like the weirdness about Edgar Davids sort of continues when he went on to play and manage Barnet as well. Mm. Um, again, I think he retired and came back at the age of thirty-nine. He wore the number one shirt and made himself captain, which I just think is mental. <laughs> and um, and there was an interview I I can't remember who it was with now that I listened to, but he was talking about that he didn't travel to a lot of away matches that were like too far. Yeah, and they like they ring him up like Edgar, come into this one, and like you'd. Um, I think they'd be in the hotel before the game and you just sort of hear music in the background. Uh, busy this weekend. He's in a nightclub somewhere. Um, and, and, then he, and then he also, yeah, I think he got three red cards in five games. Um, and then upon that said that there was a conspiracy against Barnett. Um, oh, right. not, not to mention like the, the probably the two-footed tackles he was making and getting sent off but he's just just um, kind of like an enigma Edgar Davids I think like, those interesting conspiracy to wage isn't it she's going to yeah. wage a conspiracy against them like, I don't <laughs> no, think it'd be yeah. Barnett it'd probably exactly. be like Liverpool or Man City or there's <laughs> <laughs> a lot riding on uh, the old the old bees and what they're doing mm. um, who's your other central midfielder yeah Jordan Much so typical Well and Pardew signing I think we signed him for nearly six mil um, and he just stunk the place out from start to finish, really. Never never got going, um, apparently. Like, you never really saw it on the pitch, but there's just been so many stories and, and Chinese whispers of how terrible his attitude was um, and, 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 and kind of he fit the, the bill of someone. And on one hand, you think, yeah, fair play to him. He's picking up a wage. If he's happy, just do that, fine. But he fits the stereotype of someone who is just happy to play in the reserves, 
picking up his wage packet, living in London. Um, and he and he never, it never, it just never looked like it was going to work out, um, which is highlighted now by the clubs he's mm. been at since. I think he went to South Korea. He yeah. played at Vancouver Whitecaps and he's now in, um, as you said earlier, he's now in Norway. I don't know if he's in the first or second division, but yeah. I'm not even whoever uh, Alsons. I've, I've, I don't actually know my Norwegian football very well, but yeah, still only age 28. So clearly yeah, he's still lost passion because he he was quite highly um, regarded for for a while. Mm. Um, but why don't we start with left wing now? Um, who have you gone for here? It's a bit of a difficult one because we've got I think strikers, bad strikers are far more notable, aren't they, than your bad central midfielders? So I've kind of had to shoot on a striker into a wing position. So I've got Yaya Sonogo. Um, Again, bit of bit of a bit of a cult figure for for any fan, really. Just his name, but we Pardew signed him. Um, his first signing, actually, as well. Yeah, um, first signing. Didn't get any he, better. There. <laughs> no, no. He said he wanted him to cause chaos. He said, "Yeah, I've got a chaos chaos factor," which is an interesting way of putting it. Um, and I think he technically did score one goal, but it was like it was like sort of fifty fifty, whether it was an own goal or not in the FA Cup. Um, but yeah, I can't remember anything he did of note, and it, I think yeah, he's playing for Toulouse now, isn't he? So he mm. must be. He must have done something right. But at the time, it was just that was just so typical of like our transfer strategy and the players. We was, I think we signed Jordan Much, for example, with Shadramiobi, and then we go and sign Yaya Sonogo. So it's like we're just signing all these all these uh, Premier League cult horses. People that nobody else wants. Um, yeah, yeah Sonogo. I can't remember. He he again was banned beyond ice. Like. Mm. I mean, if Pardew wanted chaos, I don't know what that was he provided in the end. But yeah, we stayed up, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. And a long list. And it joins the list of failed Arsene Wenger signings, I think, Sonogo yeah. as well. Um, and what about right wing? I've gone for Jimmy Kebe, um, which is strange it didn't work out because he was a real real hero. He was him, wasn't superb. He? Yeah, I mean, you know, as we've mentioned on this podcast, we went to Reading University and Kebe was like their star man. And mm. um he was a legend down there, really. He had like 250 appearances or something. And maybe, maybe he just left too late. He stayed there too long. I mean, what, why, why didn't it work out? Uh, well, I think it was, it was a bit of a tough one because we'd signed so many players. So we're trying to shoehorn all these new players into this, into this group that's got us promoted. Um, and yeah, I think Kebe maybe started a handful of games. But after Holloway went in the October and then Pulis came in, I think Pulis just does what he does and gets his generals in and obviously didn't fancy Kebe. But in the appearances I did see, Kebe just looks out of his depth, which is strange because obviously for being at the top of the championship to a bottom of the Prem Club, you would have thought, especially as a winger, mm. he would have done all right because usually the adjustment's quite quite good for him. But yeah, just did not look suited to the Premier League at all. And I think, yeah, I think he only made three or four appearances for us. Yeah. Disappointing. And another little quip, which seems to be like a running, um, a running kind of thing with some of these players, is they seem to have gone on to do kind of weird and wonderful things. Kebe is now a professional poker player, ranked six thousand four hundred seventy third in the world. I'm surprised that marks as professional, if I'm honest. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to say we're yeah. probably ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair play to Jimmy. Um, and what about your two strikers? Uh, I've gone for number one is uh, Adi Akinbai. Um Big money signing. There's a typical Simon Jordan vanity signing. But my favourite thing about him was when he came, we had Clinton Morrison in really hot form and Clinton Morrison was a young number 10. Um, no one was taking that shirt from him. And Akinbai fanced himself as a number 10. So he decided to have the number 55 shirt, but he just put a small oh, yeah. plus sign in between the two fives which is amazing. I remember seeing that little plus sign and thinking, oh, what's that? But yeah, 
definitely put five plus five in there. Um, and yeah, again, he was, he just did, did not cut it for us. But then I think we're one of the only clubs where he probably didn't score a few goals because before then he'd been quite prolific. So it was looking like a good sign at the time. And I think we spent a couple of mil on him. Yeah. Um, well, so at well, the time he... you're thinking, oh, I don't know. I, th- I think he was one of those players who could either be absolutely useless or score a few goals. Because I, I remember there was a game um, he got he missed like four or five easy chances for Leicester, and then kind of yeah. got, got booed. And there's there's quite a famous picture of him. Well, I don't know how famous it is, comes to think of it, but quite well known of like him going absolutely mad at scoring this one nil winner against Sunderland for Leicester. And I think it was just at the time. Like all of his frustrations of getting booed and missing the chances for kind of coming out, but yeah, mm. he was um, quite an interesting figure, and uh, I kind of just laughed about him then because he is yeah another kind of Premier League kind of cult hero. Like everyone knows Adiak and by one way or <laughs> yeah. another. Yeah, um, definitely. And your last striker, just to close thing. Last striker is Patrick Bamford, um, probably one of my most disliked players to ever play for Palace. Um, it was looked like a really good signing because it was a season long loan. From Chelsea, I think he just won Championship Player of the Year when we signed him. When the, when Middlesbrough went up, he scored a bucket load for them. Um, and yeah, it looked like a good signing on paper because we'd done good loan deals with Chelsea in the past. And yeah, just never never hit the ground running again. A lot of Chinese whispers and stuff that his attitude wasn't up to scratch. And I thought with a manager like Pardew, who's got a big ego, he'd be able to handle that. Um, but if, even if you can, if you're going to wind up someone like Pardew, who's got really fancies himself, then you're in for trouble and it, and it culminated with him coming on as a sub when we really needed a goal against Swansea I think in the second half and he just missed a couple of chances and he got booed off mm. which you know probably a little bit harsh and uh, he, he went in and decided to terminate his contract and he went back to Chelsea in the January which everyone well, was quite, quite happy about I remember him throwing his toys out the Pram because I think he obviously had a few successful loan spells in the championship and he was giving it the big and saying that he was ready to play in the Premier League mm. uh, and and Clearly he wasn't because then he signed for Middlesbrough in yeah. the championship and is now playing for Leeds, who I imagine would sell him the minute they get promoted. If yeah, if definitely. Promoted, I must say. Um, and what about your, your manager, Will, of this fantastic worst eleven? I don't think we can look further beyond Frank De Boer, to be honest, um, even though there's a little bit of me which feels a bit sorry for him because four games and whatever, but... I think just that whole that whole summer after we well, I think we was like an exhaustive like four to six week search for this new manager after going from mm-hmm. Allardyce and not having any, any consistency and thinking right we need this needs to be a, a period of building for the club. Eve uh, woos Steve Parrish on his on his boat in Ibiza with this immaculate presentation about the squad comes in and he says he promises um, evolution not revolution. And then um, first day of the season against Huddersfield. Like, if you're if you're a manager, you and I would know this. If if I'm a Palace fan, if I'm a Palace manager on the first day of the season, and Millwall come up again and set to come to Sellers Park, for example, you know exactly what Millwall are going to be better at you at, and that's going to be about the 50-50s, the hard work, the determination, the physical side of it. We had Huddersfield on the first day of the season, and he played a back three of um, Fosu Mensah, Jairo Riedewald, and Scott Dan, and we just got absolutely bullied, lost three 0 and then we lost the first four games of the season without scoring a goal. Um, apparently, he was like awful on the training ground. I like, used to say to Damien Delaney and Martin Kelly, oh, yeah. I can do this and picking free kicks in because obviously he used to That's be a world-class bad. player. Yeah. And he sent them to the reserves. And I think Delaney and some other senior players had the ear of Steve Parrish and said, look, this guy's an absolute joke. So, yeah. yeah, sacked him after four games and then the rest is history, really. It's a funny one because 
you know, you look at his track record prior to that, managing, I mean, a short spell at Inter Milan, but six seasons at Ajax. Like, he mm. must have a good cut. Maybe he just got, um, you know, got a bit cocky, perhaps. I don't know, or, or, or something went completely wrong. But And then, um, you know, Roy comes in and somehow saves, you know, finishing 11th the next season. Yeah. With, uh, sorry, in that season was just incredible. What what a job to, to turn that around. Um, because it yeah, was, it was crazy. wasn't it? No club that have lost that many games, I think, a pitcher in that period of time have ever survived. So, yeah, so we, um, it was four goals. Yeah, it was four, four games, no goals, no wins. And then Roy came in and his first three fixtures were Southampton at home and then City United away. So you can only really say Southampton at home, he should have got something out of. But then after the seven defeats and no goals, we beat Chelsea 2-1. And then it went on. And then you, would, I think, I think that season was still our highest ever points total in the Prem. So to go from mm. that to there is just incredible. Um, mm. So yeah, no, definitely he is a absolute far cry from Frank the Ball in every sense, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, leaves me to say thank you very much for joining uh, today, Will. Hope you've enjoyed having a chat of all things Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, please give us a review, obviously, listeners, if you would like. Um, there'll be a new show every Monday. Feel free to follow us on Twitter as well. That's at yourselfpod. Uh, you can get in touch with us via email as well. If you would like any football related stories or comment are always welcome. Uh, it's call yourself a fan podcast at gmail.com. Um, if you haven't already, um, check out our first show with Matt on Arsenal. Um, that was a great show. Um, next week, we'll be joined by uh, my good friend, uh, Chris Page, to discuss Wolves and also his love of non-league football, uh, particularly Kidderminster Harriers. So uh, don't miss that if you uh, like a bit of non-league football. Um, thanks for joining.